Hello and welcome to In Unison, the podcast for choral conductors, composers, and choristers, where we interview members of our choral community to talk about new music, new and upcoming performances, and discuss the interpersonal and social dynamics of choral organizations in the San Francisco Bay Area and beyond. Beyond. We are your hosts. I am Zane Fiala, Artistic Director of the International Orange Chorale of San Francisco. And I'm Giacomo Di Gregoli, a tenor in IOCSF, the Golden Gate Men's Chorus, and the San Francisco Symphony Chorus. And this is... In Unison! This week, we're chatting with the brilliant Danielle O'Keefe of The House That Dan Built from Sydney, Australia, about how her organization aims to activate women across the world to feel empowered. We speak about how to achieve a balance of learning, teaching, and doing so that singers can create works of meaning and become the best people they can be. So joining us today, we have Danielle O'Keefe. And in fact, I first met Danielle in 1998, 23 years ago, when we were housemates in Denver, Colorado, preparing for a tour with Up With People. Uh, but we'll save a conversation about that for another time. Danielle is an interdisciplinary contemporary artist and the founder and CEO of The House That Dan Built. And we'll tell you all about that in a little bit. Danielle has worked in the arts for over 18 years, beginning as a performer and a vocalist. She studied uh, conducting in London at the Royal Academy and finished up with that in 2003. And then from 2003 to 2012, she conducted the Australian Youth Choir in Sydney. Uh, in 2012, became the artistic director of the Outback Theatre for Young People and has worked with the Australian Theatre for Young People, the Sydney Chamber Opera, and the Australian Institute for Performing Arts. In 2014, she founded The House That Dan Built. And Danielle will tell us more about that, but from their website, it states that it is a not-for-profit female-focused arts association that aims to activate women across the world to feel empowered to speak, to feel like they belong, like they are part of an army. It's an ecosystem that supports female artists to achieve a balance of learning, teaching, and doing so that they can create works of meaning and become the best person they can be. Welcome to the show, Danielle. Hello. Hooray. And I know uh, our listeners can't see us, but I am actually wearing on our Zoom call today my The Future is Female sweatshirt in honor of Danielle and the house that Dan built. So welcome, Danielle. Greatly really noted. Great to have Appreciate you. it. <laughs> uh, so for those folks that aren't familiar who are listening, can you tell us a little bit about the house that Dan built? Well, it's actually, I, I mean, we were talking about how not to speak about COVID. And it's something that the, the house has really had to pivot and shift considerably this in the last 12 months because of restrictions here in Australia, which are um, um, very clear, there's, you know, it, you don't sing. Um, COVID is, you know, the singing is the worst thing you can do. So um, we have had to really look at our processes over the last year and look at how do we still create and keep everyone safe and um ensure that we are still uh, hitting what we're supposed to be doing, uh, which is we are at the, the crux of things. We are an organisation that is designed for, to help young women really raise their voices and particularly create vocal artworks. 
So the house was created six years ago um, with, uh, I guess it was a bit tongue-in-cheek, it's called the house that Dan built because uh, in Sydney uh, the most expensive thing and for artists is space to be able to create work. So I called it the house that Dan built because I wanted someone to give me a house. <laughs> and everyone laughs, but it it's, happens. It's the most successful thing you can do in business is be highly specific. <laughs> exactly. And as Australians, that's not one of our fortunes. We will speak around things and we will have lots of colour, but we're not, we're not specific in the way when I've worked with Americans. Um, and I learned a lot from doing some work with a company over in, um, the, in New York and decided, right, I've just got to call what it is that we want. And we really require space. We need a home, somewhere that work can be really um, not just created but cultivated and over a long period of time where we're not spending all our resources on being able to be in the room together. Uh, so the house that Dan built was a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but within the first year we were gifted a house in a very nice area of Sydney uh, and so we suddenly had a home. So the work could take on a whole new meaning and actually be given a lot more depth with being able to take away that um, requirement of a, of a home and a place where we would be able to um, fill the walls with ideas and really start working on compositions in a very, very collaborative way. So. That's um, one of our processes in working is really how do we um, play with vocal works and in a way that um, sits in the hybrid of um, collaborative but also composition. So how can we really play in collaborative composition, I guess, is what we're looking at. And the house is integral. The actual home is integral of that work for mm. us. Uh, so we have um, four different pillars that we work to. So we are constantly pushing towards excellence in all that we do. And here that's something that we, we speak to quite a bit because it, it, is, a, um, it is something that that's not what all arts organisations are setting to do. Some are really about participation or community, but we are really pushing towards vocal excellence. And for us that means actually our integrity and our rehearsal processes and in making sure that we're able to maintain um, vocal excellence. So that's looking at vocal health and education. So that's our, our number one first and foremost pillar. We have um, access and opportunity. So that is sort of making sure that young women are given an opportunity to um, be able to learn skills, to really look at how to use their voices. Now there's sort of two prongs of that. So Learning uh, an instrument uh, and being able to master an instrument really requires a long time. And if you're coming from a more disadvantaged background and you don't have access to the opportunity of learning a musical instrument, how do we start to address that for young women? And so I looked at finding a sort of a cohort. cohort. This is where we talk about that sort of army idea. Mm. And that is where young women who have been trained now are teaching uh, quite early on in their sort of own education process. So we sort of say, as soon as you can do, you teach. Whoa.
sleeping ball, you're nice, your cat is sneezing, it must smell nice. A chew, hack a shun, apogee, hapchi, farsi, hatchi, hatsing, akshi. So it is really about, okay, you've learned how to put together a simple chord structure, you know, one, four, five, one or something, you know. And, okay, and you've been able to write a little song about that. Okay, straight away you teach that. And once you've been able to teach that, you're starting to really master. I'm using my fingers. I'm quite animated, obviously, when I speak. <laughs> conductor in me. It's okay. I'm, it's fine. I'm Italian. I fully understand it. It's great. <laughs> uh, and as soon as you have mastered that, then we go on and learn the next step. So that's sort of sharing and skill cycle and an immediacy of that skill cycle is really important to our process. When you talk about um, the process being both integrated, uh, you also mentioned it sort of being inclusive and mm. the idea that you're reaching out to folks who are from different backgrounds. And what is it, when it comes to choral music, what are the ingredients that make that inclusive process is it different from say the ingredients you need for uh, an inclusive corporate environment i mean what what's the difference i love the description of how you're saying that you join and you the 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 learners or the students become the teachers immediately and that feels like a really important process of empowerment um, mm -hmm. but what else i mean what what is it about uh, what are the ingredients that make the process inclusive so one of the things that i do with the girls the younger girls is as soon as they've you know, got you know, a few skills in their toolkit in terms of being able to um, sing well in tune, listen, work on harmonies, um, understand simple songwriting skills, I immediately take them out into regional remote communities. And that's where we run full day workshops with girls out there who might not have had that opportunity in the past. I'm passionate about that because I grew up in a small town that we didn't have that opportunity. I played the violin because that was the only teacher that was around. You know, like it's it, the the um, I, we didn't have a plethora of uh, options. So I'm passionate about going into communities where um, they might not have had the opportunity in the past um, of singing and vocal workshops. So. In terms of diversity of voices, though, in the room. So that for us here, and we're constantly working out how to do this better and how to keep um, keep workshopping this. But it's about going into going into places that um, we haven't been before, and actually, you know, having workshops and doing collaborative processes, uh, and sort of saying, "Hey, we're here. Who's interested in playing?" Like there's that aspect of um, it's not about asking people to expecting people to come to us and saying, hey, our door's open. That doesn't work. That hasn't worked for us in the past. We go other places and I actually really try and see who's who's interested and who wants to play. Are um, there are there multiple ensembles within the house that Dan built? So is it are there? I mean, I feel like I saw on the website. Um, that there were a few different ensembles. The toy choir was one which sort of caught my eye. Um, but it, are some of them more or less dedicated to like outreach or work or like what distinguishes one of the ensembles from, from the others? 
Yeah, we're very fluid in our lines. So it's something that it's because you're working with um, teenage girls and girls who are emerging artists, so they might be doing their masters of opera performance right now. So they're not someone who's going to be able to, at this point, come away because they're you know in exams or things. So we have to keep make sure that there's enough of us. So when a workshop is being run, we can always facilitate. So there is different access points in which you can come in. So the first one would be a kin, and a kin is where you sort of, it's just an introduction, it's just a taster. And then there's online things that we can do now as a response to COVID, where you have more one-on-one type mentor- mentorship, or and that's with an older girl, or even peer-based, like often it's a younger person teaching. It's, it's not about age, it's sort of, it's about... Um, you know, what information you have and what information you're looking for. And then there's toy choir. Now, toy choir is where they're really more specifically and as a dedicated thing on weekends. This is what we're doing and it's more structured and formal. And then once you've sort of got that structure, then it's back into an ensemble sort of group. And that's where we start playing with chaos again. Let's hear a bit from the toy choir mentorship concert. Here's Soul Song by toy chorister Claudia. So was a symphony that I listened to note for note. Her heart was a clean slate, and no need I wrote. Ooh, sing to me. Ooh, while I sleep. Ooh, tell a story. Make me laugh and love and weep. So you've got the structure. You understand how music works uh and now we can play yeah i love that uh, you focus on working with young women specifically obviously young girls and young women what are your thoughts about those types of spaces for those conversations specifically gender specific groups of musicians what are your thoughts about um why it is so important to have gender specific groups of musicians particularly for for young women and it is, and it is specifically the young. It women. is. No, it is. No, I, I think there's importance, um, and there's a lot of work that you know I think would be great for young men. That's just not my area. I'm all for supporting it and championing um, young men's voices as well. But what we're passionate about is the girls. It's in, it, there's a couple of areas I'm really interested in. Actually, the texture of girls' voices. The actual vocal textures that we're playing with is one thing that I started to get quite um, charmed by when I was listening to the amount of female voices in in social discourse. In Australia, we had a female prime minister. I want to say maybe 2021, years just keep flying. And she has a particularly um, nasal sound to her voice. And in so doing, I say to the Leader of the Opposition, I will not be lectured about sexism and misogyny by this man. I will not. Now, the majority of issues around what she was saying had to do in how it was being said. Her... um, persecution had a lot to do with the she has a high register she has a very nasal tone into her voice uh, and 
it was less important what she was saying than how she was saying it. And I, I started to really get um, frustrated by that because at the time I was living in the outback and I was hearing young people talk about this witch, this witch, this witch, this witch. And it is because, you know, that nasal sort of sound. And so that's not listening to what she was saying, how she was saying it. And when I really broke that down, it came to that we're used to hearing positions of power coming from those dulcet male tones, which are much deeper, and they are slower in the way that they are speaking because they've not been interrupted all the time. Female voices often speak faster because we're so used to someone jumping in on us, and that isn't necessarily a bad thing. Like when I've, a lot of the research that I've done has been listening to women talk, and I don't know how to explain this in words, but in fingers, <laughs> it is that we, we do. It, it, we're on top of each other and bouncing and the, the finishing sentences, like that, the, the sort of hive uh, vocal textures that take place in female-only rooms is different to what I have experienced in um, multi-gendered rooms or male-led gendered male-led rooms. So I was interested in that, that sort of um, cacophony of sound that women often speak with is incredibly infectious and powerful and delightful and interesting, but we don't hear it. Um, it's not platformed, I guess. Mm, it's, very, it's, it's quite true. And that sound is sort of very, very unique. And it's the way you describe the... Um, the emotional landscape. You've described it as jumping into the chaos. Uh, you've described it now as sort of this cacophony of sounds and sort of voices that are jumping all of each other. And what's interesting to me, one of the things Zane and I were talking about was, was that as choral artists, we're often called upon to access some deep emotion to lend character to a piece we're performing, especially during the rehearsal process when we're exploring a piece. What does that part of the process look like with your musicians? Because I know that for us as adults, when we're performing, it's you know, I will, I will be bawling, you know, in, in a rehearsal or something, but then suddenly need to think about, okay, when it comes performance time, my job is to evoke that feeling in people, maybe not to have it for myself, but um, there's a lot to unpack in there. And I guess the first question would be, what does the process look like for you when you deal with some really heady topics with, um, with particularly some of your younger singers and and before you answer that what's the age range of oh, yeah. the the girls in your program uh so if we speak back to the the um sort of um not the, the top group but the ones that we're playing with like really experimental work and the ones that show, you know showcase in the venice finale and um they're well actually we've just sort of um re sort of calibrated and said okay we're going to work together for a year with just one group and it's it's for the first time I guess what we'd say closed now mm. but we're just going to focus in with this group of 14 and it sort of fits in with the restrictions and what we're able to do by um closing the bubble for 2021 mm -hmm. and they are between uh 12 and 26. Okay so a good healthy range I mean you have some young some some young ladies in that group young down ones, at yeah. 12 yeah so what does that, I mean, when you're unpacking some pretty heady topics, I imagine you've got a, a range of um, receptiveness to the topics and a range of understanding of what the topics are and certainly a range of emotions.
what does that process look like when you unpack a, a particular piece of work that might have some emotional resonance to the group? So we, we work with a physical practice as well. So mm. it's not just for us about seeing, it's about the whole body. And how do we actually, because a lot of what we're doing is um, really extending, you know, we, we work with very, very long phrases and it really is about controlling breath and working with straight tones. And I mean, the project that we're working on at the moment, we're attempting to slow down time. <laughs> That's our objective. Mm. And so to do that, we are really requiring these very, very long, elongated breaths that um, help us to slow everything down. And so for that, we do need a physical practice that is something that we can fall back on. So the physical practice really helps us to get strong in our bodies. So it is that we... Um, can speak to where in our bodies things are sitting and where is it resonating and bring it back to the body. Because I talk about us in terms of our, our role in performance is as how can we be the vessel for this sound? So it's how do you actually let your body hold this sound to give, as we talk about it as being a gift, um, without you having to feel it. Uh, to perform it. Now, that's not to say that you know, there is times where sometimes things happen, like physiologically. Sometimes when I'm singing certain things, like, yeah, I have a physiological response to it. There might be tears in my eyes or something that actually takes place. And there's that's, that's no problem. But I'm not sad like, in that moment. Like, that's a physiological thing that's taking place. I don't have to go into the depths of that to be able to share that. Um, yeah, I think for us it really is about the physical work that we do as a group that helps us rely on each other. So maybe as a means of discussing sort of what's happening now with COVID and before we talk about this this piece that you're mentioning now about slowing down time, because I'm fascinated by that and I, I'd love to ask you a bit about that. But I wanted to first talk about another piece your organization was involved with, um, which is Damien Rickinson's The Howling Girls. Um, and from that piece... Um, uh, there's a description that includes um, a quote from Susan Faludi. The, the piece is about um, a response, the trauma response to 9-11. And please stop me and correct me if I'm wrong about this, but it is essentially a, a response to 9-11. And the Susan Faludi quote in her book, The Terror Dream, I'd, I'd love to read that for folks. I think it's fascinating. But um, Susan Faludi says, quote, in the weeks following the terrorist attacks on the World Trade Center, five gaunt teenage girls had arrived separately at a Manhattan hospital complaining of identical symptoms. They were wasting away because they couldn't, quote, swallow. All five believed that some debris or body part from the destruction of the towers had lodged in their throats and produced the symptom. The surgeon who examined them found no obstruction and, quote, needless to say, no body parts. That is a, a tremendously heady um, piece of work. Tell us a little bit about maybe that the, the piece, the, the Howling Girls, and how you came to be a part of it. Yeah, it's a big one because we talk in terms of a, the collective experience a lot as our collective in that when you try some, when, when something happens, the first time that you do it, um, it is uh, it's a struggle. It's, 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 it's work. You've got to really like workshop something to get it sort of cooking. Even if you then take that whole idea, that you, you, you take that idea and then work with a brand new group of people 
different conductor, da, 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 the whole different group, the fact that it has already existed in the universe somehow makes it easier the second time round. And it was it's something that I've, I heard Philip Glass speaking about with Einstein on the beach and he talked about this experience and it's something that I've noted in, in our work, like the very first time when a work is brand new and hasn't been heard by the universe, I guess, before, um, that it's a sort of um, a struggle. Whereas from then on, there's a, you, it, it's easy to find the joy and the delight in that, even though it might be looking at dark material. Um, so something like How in Girls came about over a very long process. The director of that is a woman named Adina Jacobs. Uh, and Adina and I had worked on a project for um, Melbourne Festival here. We worked on this project, which again was all female focused. And it, um, so it was through our sort of ways of um, working, we could sort of, we saw how we should have worked and played. And so when this project, we first started talking about this project, we were actually exploring the same thing, but from a different angle. Uh, I was using it in some, I was playing with the, this idea of voicelessness um, and obstruction here uh, in a project called the Mermaid Project. So looking at the original uh, Little Mermaid where she has a tongue cut out and mm. um, uses a voice and and I've been exploring this with the girls. And what I've been really fun with this is that I've been exploring it with some quite young girls. And we'd been playing and then Adina and I started speaking and she was playing with the same idea. Um, and reading this, what took place with these five young women in New York is incredibly fascinating to all of us for how we play with process. So I was like, well, that's really fascinating. There's no connection between these girls whatsoever. And so that's sort of like the, the, the kernel and there's, there's so much interest there and we're also playing with the same sort of materials. Um, but yeah, you sort of go, all right, something's gonna happen here. Don't know what, <laughs> but something's gonna start. So Damien Rickardson and Adina started working with, at that time it was an ensemble of girls uh, and I think we had 12 young women in the first uh, sort of development of this. And we, it was, it was um, a playground. It was, just, it was a weekend of playground of sounds and um, working with the incredible soprano Jane Sheldon. So it's at that stage like, okay, well, let's have a bit of playtime and see what, what's here. Uh, and then I think it was about two or three years later that the work started to actually take form into what became the hour-long production. Yeah, it was it was a long, long process, that one. I have, uh, if you're working with teenage girls, you really want to have an understudy because, you know, teenage girls. And well, anyone really, but if you're working on something like this, you really want to have an understudy. But I wonder, so I had a, and, and keeping our cycle of learning and the house ethos, it was, you know, we really need a younger girl in the room who gets to watch the experience but doesn't have the, the pressure of performing. She was so extraordinary, the 12, I think she was 13 at the time. But of course, there end up being six girls in Howling Girls. 
because you couldn't not have her on stage having been in there. So it became six parts. Um, yeah. So if that's, that's a- where you can sort of look at that as being a devised process. Well, it's extraordinary and it's, it's amazing. I mean, the, the Susan Faludi quote, I mean, it's what's very interesting to me. Um, obviously, it's a response to the erasure of female voices in response to trauma. And given what we're seeing now with COVID, I mean, here in the U.S., we hear stories of folks like Dr. Susan Moore, who was an African-American doctor who died of COVID in, in suburban Indianapolis because she, she was ignored by her doctors. I mean, she was actually speaking and letting people know, and yet still her voice was was not being heard. Given that the, the, the topic of the Howling Girls is 9-11, clearly 20 years ago, it'll be the 20-year anniversary this year. How do you think things have changed then or, frankly, stayed largely the same? I think the biggest change that's happened is the Me Too movement. I was listening to a podcast recently that was speaking about a woman who was being tried, I think, for being an accomplice to murder. It was, a, it was a, one of those podcasts. And they were speaking about how she was so calm and still when she spoke that she seemed cold and calculating. And the justification that was given was, but you've got to remember, this was only 2003 or 2004. This was prior to the Me Too movement and it floored me (laughs) because 2004, I mean, I was already fully-fledged adult by then and that statement, like this was before then, of course it was. Like we, you won't take them seriously before then. Like there, was, there wasn't, a, there wasn't the, the avenues that we have now available because some, there has been a name put to it. There has been a movement. There has been, um, yeah. So I, I think we, we, it still feels incredibly slow, but if I, listening to that podcast, it literally blew my mind because... 2004 doesn't seem that long ago. I was, yeah. It doesn't. Yeah, we we were all fully formed adults by that point. I think. Yeah, it, it's so sho- I, it is shocking to hear that. Yeah, and that's where you realize, okay, things have shifted, just not as quickly as we would have thought. But of course, it's going to feel that way while we're in it. I also am always, uh, you know, it, it's something we talk about gender quite a bit because lots of young women that I work with. Um, are exploring what is the gender neutral terms, what what we, we we talk about this all the time and what is it to be a girl? Like what is it, you know, and some really identify and want to hold on to that, but I am a girl. And there's something specific about girl and girlhood that by that could be championed and enjoyed and relished and celebrated and delighted in. Um, and so some are really passionate about wanting to actually be held under that label, whereas others aren't. And so, you know, it's it's the fact that we can have these conversations now and actually really explore what does that mean and what do we, how do we want to play and how do we want to explore different voices, um, yeah, in new ch- and changing times. And speaking of being a girl, a few weeks back, we chatted with Elena Sharkova and Jace Wittig of the Cantabile Youth Choir about how COVID has been affecting their children's ensembles. And they had some really interesting insights about how COVID has been affecting the people that they work with. 
What have you noticed about the response from the the 14 girls within your bubble? Is there something you're seeing? I mean, especially uh, in light of the response to trauma and the explorations you've done uh, on the the Howling Girls and the piece you're working with now, are you seeing sort of a a different response? Are you seeing different themes that are coming out in the work that you're working on now? But most importantly, how are the how are the girls responding? The biggest thing I found, and this is more with the 14 girls than with the toy choir, is that they hadn't sung. Mm. They're not they're not singing in with someone else. They're not singing. So their voices were weak. Their voices were, uh, they had trouble, trouble with their breath control. They were really, really unrehearsed. And their muscles really were, they were weak. And I think that's the, was the biggest thing that we noted. So they will talk about the fact that they, how much they missed the singing. But when you do it on your own, when you're used to singing with such a group that really um, encourages and challenges and pushes each other, when you don't have that, you're singing into the void, into the echo, and it's, it's, it's a different experience. And one is important for rehearsal, and you can keep doing that when you're working towards something. So knowing that you're going to see me on Saturday, I guarantee they're all rehearsing because they're going to be accountable for it on the Saturday and they're going to be standing up. So they would, but if there's no end point, the, the desire or the impetus was lost to sing. I think also here, I don't, I don't know what it's like in the, the States um, around singing, but here we talk about, you know, singing is bad. Singing has had a really bad rap during COVID in that's mm. dangerous and it's Same. just not thing we should be doing. And I think what that's done to us all is this idea of we're sort of not like, I know myself, I used to sing and hum all the time. And then suddenly you're just not doing that so much. You know, you just sort of, you're out of practice yourself in the incidental singing that would take place as well, or the humming or the, you know, orchestration of what's going on in my head. Uh, yeah, so I, I think that's the COVID, like, that's what COVID's sort of done when we're under. Obviously, they're not being able to congregate and get our harmonies working. And um, we, we were, we're able to sing here in a group of five at the moment because we've got zero cases here. So you can sing in five, but you all must be facing in the same direction and well, five metres away from me as a conductor and depending on where we're sitting in the restriction, either 1.5 or five metres apart from each other. So there's things that we can do and we've been, oh, we've been doing those things, <laughs> but it's a, it's a different experience. And taking away performance out of uh, a... Um, repertoire as well like when you're when you're singing but no one gets to hear it what's that too yeah <laughs> I <clears throat> I watched that video um, it was through your website it oh shoot now the name is escaping me but it's the, the little the red salt. riding hood story no, oh, no the little red riding hood um, uh, piece what was that called it was called um, tender Tender young creatures, right? Hmm. Um, yeah, you just mentioned you know what's what's making music without the opportunity to perform it and to share it with with the public and that performance. I mean, the the singers, the kids were walking amongst the audience. I mean, there's no way that that could happen. Hey, pretty young thing, you doing okay? I wouldn't want a lovely young girl like you lost on the path. Hey, pretty young thing, you doing okay? I wouldn't want a lovely young girl like you lost on the path. 
And, and so, you know, when it comes down to it, I feel like for us choral musicians, this COVID has been, a, it's been a traumatic event. It's been, it's a trauma for us. And, and, you know, so, so trauma often has this period of recoil, you know, an initial response and then reflection on it. So, so I wonder, Danielle, how far do you see the trauma of COVID resonating into the future works of new composers? The composers that we're working with at the moment uh, are still having the opportunity to create and have their creations sounded. So, you know, what we're doing is um, working, you know, a composer will send through something and we are doing things digitally. So it's still, there is still um, voice being placed um, into the compositions. And so you, you, you are getting that feedback to some it's just a different sort of feedback um, on their work. But I think the trauma is going to be down the track. Mm. So, yeah, I think it's it's something that in the arts we're going to really feel this in a few years' time. I think we'll have a void of performers from a certain age bracket because they will have gone off and done other things because there is no possibility at, at the moment. Um, I, I think here particularly there's been a, a crackdown on culture and art. Uh, well, it, it since we, we had a, something called when one of our politicians started the war on artists mm. um, it, it, and it has sort of like infiltrated down through uh, how arts are created and maintained and specifically for young voices in Australia that are um, deeply underfunded. So therefore you are working with young people who have the finances to be able to uh, work in, you know, to be able to learn in music, you're not actually getting a cross spectrum um, or a diverse, diverse group at all in coming up through the ranks. So I think we're gonna see this in, in the next five, 10 years. It's the trauma will be felt down the track for mm. us. Um, I also feel that there's an exhaustion that has happened for most artists and particularly vocal artists who are just trying to connect and sing and work using tools that really are not meant to be used that way. And so therefore you're working twice as hard in the lead up and you're feeling unsatisfied in the moment and then the aftermath of how much cleanup or whatever you need to do to be able to create anything means you're working not only outside of your skill set, but so many more hours than what would have been required to just be in the room. Um, it's yeah, true. I, we've all... I, know, I know that very well because I'm yeah. in the midst of, of editing a virtual choir project for my choir and spending you know, four hours every day sitting at the computer, just listening to every voice and trying to match it up. And, oh, man, it's, yeah, it's a lot of work for to get only one song done yeah. you know as opposed to the same amount of work to put on an entire concert yeah and that, that with that there's so many voices that sing in response to other voices like that is the beauty of choral work it isn't about how many you know it's not about 16 solos or 30 solos that's not it it's that because it is you know there are some people and their pitch is really found by being immersed in the other voices it's not in having you know perfect pitch to a computer, that's not how th th they've worked. It's not how they've they're practiced. So the errors that take place and 
yeah, I find that, yeah, it loses a part of its little soul when it's done that way. Yeah. The work. And that we're so used to hearing things that are so well produced. Like if your job is working in film or sound recording, then this is, you're used to being able to produce something at that sort of quality, whereas I'm used to getting a performance to that sort of quality and that relies on the space and that relies on the environment and time. And, you know, there's, there's a whole bunch of things that are taking place there that have nothing to do with um, the recording aspects. Right. Yeah. So I, That's I think... That's true. That, I mean- so many of your works actually are quite interdisciplinary and are space dependent. I mean, I, the the video uh, installation pieces and the the movement and the actual lived in space that that most folks are actually performing in. Yeah, it's it's quite unique. You can't really replace that or or find it. We've all basically been robbed of a year. I mean, or at least the better part of a year, um, which is which is sort of strange to imagine. But um, the counterpoint to that, of course, is that. There's there's a Buddhist mantra, the Nam Myoho Renge Kyo, which is from suffering comes beauty or or teaching. I think is roughly what it translates to. What do you think we're we're potentially learning right now from this from this experience? And frankly, what's been the mud that we're all the muck that we're all kind of living in? Look, we I we do deal with a lot of really dark matter in our compositions and. Um, and in our works like that is uh that is true but there's a real delight that we play with as well as a counterpoint to that and so that's why the toy choir was created that i went all right i'm going to be working with a project of teenage girls talking about what it actually feels like to be a girl walking through a city on their own and actually attempting to not even take up space but just to be in space what that feels like then I, I really need a counterpoint of something delightful and playful. And so that's where Toy Choir comes in. I think for, as, an, as, as a Danielle, it's how do you keep the joy alive when you're trying to, and I don't want to say that we're just surviving at the moment, but there's been a possibility of pivoting and, you know, we're able to pivot, but there's a joy that's lost in terms of being in the room and collaborating and creating works from a space that is 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 lost. And so, from my perspective, it's how do we actually find a new way of cultivating that joy and delight, or um, shifting focus entirely so that that becomes a focus point again. I, I think that's sort of what the world needs right now. I mean, if you look at works that are created, you know, in, in different times of hardship, you know, after the war, you're looking at some really like happy and light and joyous works again, because that's what we need when we go and see something. We actually need something that's going to lift up our hearts and spirits and souls. We don't want to be looking into the darkness and the, it's only when things are going well or when things are um, stable, that we're actually able to delve into these much bigger, bigger issues that exist. But, you know, when you're just trying to keep afloat, I feel like what the world needs at the moment from us is something that's beautiful. So exactly what you're saying, it's through the suffering. How do we create that beauty? And, and that's, 
you know, something that we're in the struggle of at the moment. It's like how do we create something that's really beautiful and has a delight and raises spirits? Do you have some ideas that are percolating in that brain of yours already that of, of what you can envision of the light and the positivity when, when we get to the chance to, to emerge from the depths? Yeah, look, we haven't been so successful in playing with technology of, uh, you know, on, on, the, on the cheaper level. So we've gone, all right, we need to go a bit more high end. And what we're playing with at the moment is a data arena which has, um, it's, it's a 360 data arena. So we'd have uh, 14 inputs into the space. So as an audience member can come in and actually have the decentralized choral experience all around them, as if the girls are around them in that space. What's beautiful about something like that is that we've often talked about what would happen if our works were on a loop and you were actually able to have um, different voices sort of feeding into it. So the work is continuous and the girls come and go. So you've got enough girls, like we were talking about, you know, Tend Young Creatures has 100 girls in it. So you sort of, uh, what could happen here? This allows us to do that. Mm. Uh, be able to actually give that decentralised choral experience to an audience member in the setup of this data arena. So, I mean, and I've been wanting to play with binaural microphones for a really long time, so, you know, <laughs> that'll be fun. <laughs> um, the trick with this is, though, that it still needs to be recorded in person. Mm. So for us, we need to find a space, and so that's what we're looking at at the moment, is a great big giant vacuous sort of um, factory large space where we're actually able to be this far apart and still feeding in at the same time because... We're attempting to play with, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of breath that takes place in this and, you know, it's, it's, it does rely on seeing each other and singing into each other. Mm. So how do we make that happen? Is this the piece that you're actively working on right now that you had mentioned earlier about the slowing down of the breath? And um, mm. is, there, is there a name for that piece yet or are you still in the fun exploration phases of it? Oh, no, we're, we're, we're in the... Uh, Okay, let's do this phase right now. It's um, okay. we're calling it Soul Three Hundred and Sixty. So we're playing hmm. with, um, yeah, we've we've filmed some of the work underwater, uh, and so it's about what sound is being made underwater. Because what what we found was, if you record at so the ocean, um, so we put some mics right into where waves are crashing. And if you slow that down, you get, you know, using projects, you, you'll get an A is what that sound is. The, the, the note that the ocean is singing to you at that point of crash, you'll be, it's melodically an A. Look up. Look up and see the moon above the waves. When you get girls to gargle and record that, then slow that down, it is the same sounds that is if you were an actual ocean. So a single body can create the same sound as the Pacific Ocean just by playing with space and time. So that to me was really fascinating. And so we started to make work from there. 
That is fascinating. Danielle, do you have space in your group for middle-aged gay men? Because <laughs> I'm ditching, I, I'm, I'm ready to come over and, and perform with you all. I mean, it really just sounds absolutely fascinating. The technology, the, the, the thoughtfulness around it, it's just really extraordinary. Well, and what's so lovely is with when you have like the same ensemble playing together, we all know each other's voices and they're specifically chosen because of their vocal textures as well. So they are, they, they complement each other so beautifully with your warm, beautiful tones of some of the, uh, some of the girls. And then you've got, you know, coloratura, but very, very thin, angelic sounds. And the way in which we can play with each play because we've been playing together for a while means that we get to go a bit deeper in our exploration. So that's a no. That's fine. It's okay. I've heard no before. That was very gentle. And (laughs) we know how to talk around something without saying no. Uh I was able. Perfect. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for demonstrating for us. So diplomatic. Uh. (laughs) Fantastic. So uh, looking forward, Danielle, what else, I mean, what else that's out there right now? What, what is inspiring you? I mean, aside from your group and the sort of the things you're hearing um, from, from what you're creating, are there pieces of work or people or anything that's really just inspiring you right now that gets you to jump up in the morning and say, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm ready for another day? <laughs> Look, I'll have to admit, I'm not really jumping at the moment. Uh, <laughs> Sometimes I'm in that sort of like, let's go. And then others, like it's taking me a little while. I think that's something that's been interesting around COVID is that I'm feeling much more creative towards the end of the day and into the night, whereas it used to be in the morning. Um, so it's a slow cook for me at the, at the moment. But artists that are obviously, you know, I think are extraordinary at the moment. Um, Meredith Monk is my, uh, you know, mm. go-to, we... we um, sometimes go away on residencies and we'll watch different works as a group and then we'll discuss and talk about, you know, what's happening and what does that mean and then have a play. It's <laughs> uh, when I, you know, had you know, 12 and 13-year-olds watching Tina Bausch and <laughs> five years later they're making some extraordinary works. <laughs> um, yeah, there's, I think I'm interested in now of how we can start to play with technology in in what we're doing. So how do we create that cross um, live performance and um, pre-recorded, but still keeping the integrity? So what I'm, one of the things I'm playing with at the moment that um, has been inspired by some work that I've been watching coming out of the UK is if I have straight tones happening in a composition. So if we actually really push for those very, very clear straight tones and then having you sing against your own voice and there's times where you let the vibrato swell but it's it's against your own voice and I don't know what's in there yet but having the possibility and to be able to actually play with that of uh your own avatar I guess like singing against my own voice is uh yeah is 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 interesting if it's done with the proper technology, whereas often we're working with really cheap technology. Until this year, we basically recorded everything on my phone. <laughs> you know, we didn't we didn't do anything at that sort of recording. It's all about being in the room, and we spoke very clearly about why it's important to be in the room and the shared experience between the person who is receiving the you know gift and the person who's giving it. Like we, so we really were things were recorded on phones. 
and now we've upped our ante a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> that's so and singing against your own voice that's something that i've i've played around with especially now during covid times when i first got my audio interface out and started setting up microphones and and planning to do podcasting and and recording virtual choir stuff as i sat and recorded myself singing something and then sang against it and it's it's amazing how how incredible the blend can be because it's literally the same exact voice. So all the overtones are the same. All the timbre is exactly the same, but at the same time, it's can go awry so quickly because the slightest fluctuation can make the intonation go wonky and, and change stuff. But if that's the point is to explore that, I think that's fascinating. That's really, really cool. And to be actually looking at different techniques. So often when I'm, you know, if I'm making a rehearsal track or something, it's just my voice, the hollowness mm -hmm. it has because of what you're speaking about, that it's, it, yeah, there's a hollowness to it. But if there's an intention behind it and particularly sort of playing with that, you know, letting your voice open up in that in, into vibrato or actually really keeping, you know, trying to keep pitch in straight tones over a period of time, like what's, what is actually happening to the sounds of the voice there? And if you're singing into that sound, what's there? Yeah, what's 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 what can we play with? Yeah, absolutely. Plus, that gets our choir of fourteen up to twenty-eight, while still being COVID safe. All right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> the the double fourteen. <laughs> Danielle, Danielle, thank you. This has been a spectacular conversation. I feel like we could talk for hours and hours, and we have every intention of calling you up again and asking you for another chat at some point because I really I'm going to need to hear these Zane stories about up with people. So we oh, may we. I was only seventeen when we went to up with people, and it's funny because I actually haven't heard. I mean, obviously I've seen it written, but I haven't heard the words said, and I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> that was it that was the thing that was the uh, thing is there anything um as we're kind of wrapping up here is there anything um we can we can mention for you about um the house that dan built what can we plug for you what should our audience be on the lookout for uh in the in the coming months weeks and months yeah i mean we're i'm not very good at the social media aspects of explaining things but we're getting better at that and i have some young people who are now just going all right this can be my job <laughs> um, so yeah, jumping onto our Instagram would be would be great. Uh, we have just started something, and it's called it's, it's Toy Choir TV. So what I'm trying to get girls there to do is when they've written their own song, is to teach it and then be able to collaborate with others in terms of possibly orchestrating it. But it's just really sort of getting them to sort of take ownership of I wrote this and um, this is how you play it. And that's why we use the ukulele. It's, the ukulele is really just there because it helps keep people in, um, in key and also just really helps with their ears um, when they're learning. There's something really delightful about being taught to play the ukulele by some you know, preteen and teen girls because you know, the stuff that they've chosen to write about is quite different. Yeah. <laughs> There's a little cat who has COVID right now who's got a sneeze and... You know, there's just sweet little things that do make you happy. So in terms of keeping that joy, if you're looking for it, um, yeah, we've got a little ukulele um, program you can do online. 
Toy Choir Toy Choir TV. We should definitely check it out. And for those listening, you can follow the house on Instagram and Facebook at the house that Dan built. Their website is thehousethatdanbuilt.com. You can sign up for their mailing list there. They're on YouTube and Vimeo. We'll put the links in the show notes. Uh, and there's something also that I think you might want to mention to folks about picking up a pack for safe singing. What's this about? We'd sort of picked up on your on your site. Yeah, so we've got a um, yeah, we've got a COVID pack. I'm just not sure about how that might send us bankrupt if we're sending it um, across <laughs> the states. So yeah, check it out. But I'm just going to do a quick little uh, Google to see what uh, the cost of sending to the US is. <laughs> <laughs> You just have to charge a little more for shipping, but that's okay. And I have to add a shipping key there because um, I don't, I don't know. Actually, I sent to Kaylin over. Um, I sent her a little pack for her daughters, one of the um, women we travelled with, uh, and to Morgan. I sent Morgan one for Christmas for her boys as well. Oh wow! Um, yeah, so yeah, we have a, a pack in there that just sort of it's something to do at home that's just completely contained in and of itself. Um, yeah, with a little ebook that we made. Uh, for a bit of delightful fun singing. Fantastic. That's great. Well, hopefully our listeners will will check out your website and go watch some videos on YouTube and Vimeo. They're the the little clip of the Howling Girls, um, which we'll put a link of for that as well. Uh, it was just so cool to watch these young girls just exploring their voices and making sounds and just being so raw and uh, and exposing their you know themselves. It was really such a really great uh, experience. So we'll put a link to that as well in the show notes. Yeah, we actually got to take that show to Japan for the World Festival over there. So we were represented. Um, or Australasia at the World Music Festival over in um, Tokyo. And what was quite extraordinary about that is that when I talk about the home that we were given, like we literally are in a basement in Potts Point. That's where we do all our work and that's it's a basement. And then all of a sudden we were thrown onto the Metropolitan Theatre in, mm. in Tokyo and hearing people talk about the process of devising work where... It just sort of it it just gave the girls like this agency to really speak up about what they were doing and why they were doing it, and yeah, it was it was really great to hear their perspective, um, given a real platform over in Japan. Wow, that's great. Well, we admire the work that you're doing, Danielle, uh, in Australia, and we hope that uh, it's infectious and that we get people all over the world that are doing that do the same thing because. You know, empowering young women and, and making sure their voices are heard, I think, is something that we should all be focusing our attention on these days. So, so thanks like for what I you're doing. A, and A stateside joint concert at some point very soon, we hope. Mm, wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be cool? Just put it out there. Just say, uh, it's, the, it's the trip that Dan built. There you go. It's going to happen now. We've manifested it. Well, I've got 100 capes sitting in my garage at the moment. Ready for the 100 girls. If you can find the 100 girls, we're there. It can be Beautiful. Just, what's, the know, shipping, what's the shipping going to cost on those capes, though? I don't know. I'm worried. I just have to get my girls to wear them all. Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, this has been great. Giacomo, you have anything further? I don't. This was wonderful. Thank you so much. Danielle. Yeah. Thank really you. Great. Thanks for connecting with us. And uh, we'll share your story far and wide. And uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much. Lovely seeing you both. 
Yeah, good to see you too. Bye. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's episode of the In Unison podcast. But before we go, do you sing in an awesome choir that people should know about? Or maybe you know a composer or conductor you'd love to hear on the show? How about any recent or upcoming performances that touched your heart, tickled your fancy, or made you go, hmm? Well, then we would love to hear from you. Please shoot us a note at ideas at inunisonpodcast.com with your thoughts. And who knows, maybe Chorus Dolores will ask us to talk about it during announcements. (laughs) In Unison is sustained, nourished, and fostered by you, our loyal and loving listeners. And don't forget to subscribe to In Unison on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at InUnisonPod. And hey, if you like what you heard, tell a friend or a section mate. Thanks again for tuning in. See you soon. Printed scores, hole punched by Chorus Dolores, who knows that milk is an absolute no-no on show day. In Unison is produced and recorded by Mission Orange Studios. Our theme music is Mr. Puffy, written by Avi Bortnik, arranged by Paul Kim, and performed by the Danish vocal jazz ensemble Dynamic on their debut album, This Is Dynamic. Special thanks to Paul Kim for permission. Be sure to check them out at www.dynamicjazz.dk.